can't is everywhere we go. You can't go here. You can't go there. We can't stay closed. We can't stay open. They can't come over. You can't be on the fence. We can't make ends meet. We can feel like a prisoner to can't. But we don't have to be. What if we opened ourselves up instead of closing ourselves off? What if we looked for new opportunities instead of limiting them? What if, instead of pulling back, we stepped out and moved forward to listen, to grow, to love our neighbors, and to make our world better? What if we decided that can't can't stop us, and we chose can instead? What if we focused on what we can do? Hi, my name is Mark Lucenius. I'm lead pastor for Project 938, and so glad that you can be in 938 online with us. Uh, if you've been around long enough, you'll know something about me that I love a story. And I, I remember freshman year English class where they told me the structures of a story, but there's, there's something in every story that I have found that the English class didn't teach. And I like to call that moment of the story the Death Star moment, right? And that's better than any name of any English term related to any story that they've ever come up with. Why do I call it the Death Star moment? If you remember what the Death Star is, if you've seen the original Star Wars, and if you haven't, I can't help you, but if you've seen the original Star Wars early on, you'll see when the Death Star makes its big destructive blow to a planet, what happens is that there's this circle on the side of the planet, of the, of the Death Star, and three lasers come together and they form this big blasting laser that fires off and destroys the planet, and, uh, and it's, you know, it kind of sticks in your head and it's where all the power comes from. And I believe that something happens in the context of every story and it's not at always at a, in the beginning or the end, but there's something when all the themes come together and they just hit you and, and boom, it happens. All right. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a couple examples. First, you might remember uh, the movie Titanic. All right. And it's, it's about this rich Philadelphia girl who is stuck getting married to this really stuffy, boring, rich, awful man, but falls in love with Jack, this sort of vagrant guy with really good intentions and a great heart. Well, the moment comes for Rose when the, the Titanic's going to go down, spoiler alert, all right? The Titanic is going to sink, and she and all the wealthy aristocrats are leveraging their influence to get off on one of the early uh, boats, you know, one of the rescue boats. And she's there next to her fiancé, and, and meanwhile, Jack is all the way at the bottom of the boat, and he is chained up like a criminal, right? And the moment comes, and she realizes, I could save my life, but if I save my life, I'll lose my life because I have to live with this loser, 
So Rose leaves, and, and her mom's like, Rose, you need to get in here. And, and she doesn't. And she runs off, and then she goes down the stairs, and then down the stairs, and then down the stairs, and down the stairs. She goes past the steerage, which is the term that they used for the people who ran the ship. It's, and so here's Rose leaving her upper-class life, going down, 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 not just for Jack, but for love right? She'd be willing to give away all the money in the world and all the wealth in the world if she could just have love. It's the moment where the whole story comes together. Now, there's, a, there's an awful lot of story that comes together, but all the themes come together in that Death Star moment, all right? And so I know some of you rolled your eyes and didn't see Titanic and didn't care about Titanic. Let me give you a real-life story, a real-life Death Star moment, okay? This is a real-life story of the 2017 Philadelphia Eagles, right? All right, all sorts of great storylines and themes for this team, right? So you had the underdogs, right? They were the top seed in the conference, right? But they were the underdog in every single one of their games. Why? They had injuries and uh, they didn't have their best players, they didn't have their starting quarterback. And the coach, the aw shucks coach, who's not particularly like, you know, boastful or proud, he, he's declared the worst coach in all of the NFL before the season starts. And there he is. He's in the Super Bowl. And the backup quarterback who stepped up, he was going to give up on the sport altogether just a few years ago until Doug Peterson and Andy Reid brings him back. So he's there. And not only does he get to be in the Super Bowl, he plays the best game of his life. Not only uh, were the Eagles in the Super Bowl, that was the Super Bowl. That game, not just that Super Bowl, it was the game that had more offensive yardage than any NFL game ever. Not, not, not more than every other playoff game, not any more than every Super Bowl game. More than any other NFL game played, that Super Bowl, they had more yardage. And you know, so it was an amazing game, but do you know what the Death Star moment was? The Death Star moment comes at the end of the first half. It's the end of the first half, and they were trying to get into the end zone, and they got stopped, and it's fourth and goal right around the two-yard line, right? So they call a timeout. And the Aw Shucks quarterback goes over to the sideline to talk to the Aw Shucks coach. And the coach and, and, and the quarterback says, hey, what if we play do Philly Philly? The quarterback, the backup quarterback, who's going to give up on football, he calls the play. It's the fourth and goal. He calls the play. And the Austrians coach says, sure, go ahead. Why not? And then next thing you know, Nick Foles is telling the lineman someone something, and the ball gets snapped to a running back. And the running back's running, and he gives it to the tight end. And what's the – it's a backup tight end. What's the backup tight end doing with the ball at fourth down, right, in the Super Bowl? And next thing you know, the backup quarterback has thrown the ball into the end zone. And who's there all by himself? Backup quarterback, Nick Foles. This is an unbelievable call. This is like going for the onside kick against Peyton Manning because you don't want him to get the ball too many times. You don't think you can hold him out. And here we go. This could decide the game. Fourth and goal. What 
a play call by Doug Peterson. This play call has a chance to be remembered as one of the all-time greats just going for it. And Catching the ball. Death Star moment. All the themes come together and boom. And it, 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 by poetic righteousness, the Eagles had to win the Super Bowl at that point. They had to win. It was only poetic. And even you Patriot fans, you know deep down in your heart that it was only right. Why? Because just a few moments before that, the Patriots tried the same kind of trick play and the GOAT, Tom Brady, he dropped that ball and it slipped through his fingers just like the Super Bowl trophy did that year. The Philly Special was the Death Star moment that brought all the themes together for that team. Now, they still needed to go off and win the game, but it was that moment where it all came together. Now, what makes a real strong Death Star moment? It's multiple themes. Multiple themes come together, and when they come together, they hit with such power. And one of the things that you'll find when reading the scriptures is that the scriptures oftentimes weave all of these different themes together. And if you don't understand the themes, it, you won't understand the context. If you don't get the context, you, don't, you won't understand what's going on in that moment. Now, we're going to read a passage today that is an utter beatdown. And it is an utter throwdown where James, the half-brother of Jesus, is trying to help the early Christians figure it out. Because these, at this point, he's recognizing these folks are struggling with divisiveness. They're, they're struggling with being judgmental towards one another. Uh, they're struggling with pride. They're struggling with a whole bunch of things. And what James is going to do is he's going to grab all these themes from Scripture. He's going to wrap it together, put it into one thing, and go Boom! right in their face all right but i'm going to read it and you probably need to put your seatbelt on because there's an awful lot going on here so i'm going to read this and then we'll walk through the themes and before i do that let me remind remind us we're in a we're in a series called what we can do and we're you know you don't need me to walk you through all the things we can't do during a pandemic uh but as a church, we want to be the kind of people that see the challenges of a pandemic and recognize that there is an opportunity for us in this. And so, yes, there are some things that we can't do, but there's a lot of things we can do. So that's what we're leaning into right now. And we're looking at a really practical book of the Bible called the, the Book of James, a letter from Jesus' half-brother named James to a bunch of Christians trying to figure it out, just like us. And if you listen to this, you'll recognize... Man, there's some themes that could really help us right now. So let me go ahead and, and turn it over to our reader. We'll get to hear this, and then we'll come back and see what it has to say for us. James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Where do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. 
That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, like I said, there's a lot going on in that passage. Typically speaking, when we, when we teach in the scriptures, we like to look at the words and the phrases and, and work through them carefully, detail by detail, so we can understand specifically what God has to say through the scriptures. Today, I want to take us above the scriptures a little bit to see the different kinds of themes that James is drawing on to challenge us in such a way all right uh, i'm gonna so what i want to walk you through just like there's multiple themes in the in the story of the eagles multiple themes in titanic and other storylines like that i want to draw on some of those themes to help us understand how the bible thinks about certain topics all right so what i want to do is i'm going to show you a few different continuums all right to help you understand how the bible is thinking about our own lives and what it means to follow jesus first the first continuum i want to talk about is the continuum of trust all right so uh when it comes to when it comes to a relationship with god uh, proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 uh, tells exactly what he wants. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. So the heart of what God wants from us is to trust him. The opposite of that is our sinfulness. And uh, sinfulness is a Bible word that talks about the human condition. Every single human, even though we've been made in the image of God, something has happened inside of each and every one of us where we have this sense that we want to resist, rebel, and basically have God's job for our lives in the world. We want to be the ones in control. And we do that in a, in a lot of different ways. But when it comes to our sinfulness, it's about our desire for control, our desire to choose what's good for our lives, and our, de our desire to say what is good and right in this world. And so... Uh, uh, but there's a continuum to sinfulness. There's, on one side, there is, um, there is our, our sinfulness, and sometimes it, it plays itself out in utter rebellion. Sometimes it plays itself out in legalism. Uh, but when what God calls us to do is to turn away from our sinfulness, and as you come down the continuum, right in the middle is what you might know as obedience, right? And sometimes people talk about in the Christian life, man, we have to obey God, and, and if you're going to trust Him, you're certainly going to obey Him. But I think a lot of people get stuck right there, and they think that the Christian life is all obedience, like, oh, like dig down, obey. No, that's not the opposite. Obedience isn't the opposite of sinfulness. Love, love is the opposite of sinfulness. 
If you're going to turn away from your self sinfulness or your legalism or whatever it is that keeps you far from God, that resists God as Savior in your life. If you're going to turn away from your sinfulness, yes, there's going to be an obedience, but the, the goal of God in your life is not to get, get you to obey him. The goal of God in your life is to get you to love him. I mean, think about, think about a parent. You know, when you, when you have young kids, you're teaching those kids to obey you. Why? You don't want them running out in the street or doing something that's going to harm them, right? So they need to learn to obey your voice. But my goal for my 28-year-old isn't that I can call them someday and say, don't run in the street and have them obey me. No, my goal for my kids when they're 28 is that they want to be near me and that they understand what I understand, and they love what I love, and that they want to be near me and know and experience my love. That's the will of God for you. And if you want to understand the themes of Scripture, it means that you're going to leave behind your sinfulness, and yes, there's going to be some obedience along the way, but the goal is that you would live a life of love towards Him. The, the, there's a specific Bible word that I want to give back to you when it comes to this. It's a specific word that's been taken from you. It's been taken from you because it's been used out of context. It's been used in wrong, in wrong ways. It's a simple word called repent. Uh, and the heart of moving from sinfulness and legalism to love is repentance and community. What it means, simply repentance, it simply means that I'm going to return. I'm going to turn back. In the Old Testament, there's a simple word called shuv. And it's simple, you're just turning the direction and going the other direction. We're returning home to where we belong. And you can't do it, you can't do it on your own. We do it together. And so the way we move down the path from sinfulness towards a loving relationship with God is we do it through repentance and we do it in community. All right, so that's the first theme. The second theme I want to lay out there for us is skill. The Bible wants to teach you how to be skilled with life. Uh, the Typically, the word that the Bible will use when it comes to skill is wisdom. But I use it because I think it helps us. Because sometimes when we think of wisdom, we just think of some old person with a really long beard or something like that. I'm not talking about Josh. I'm talking about somebody with his beard but gray. Okay, so, uh, but like, but somebody who's sort of old and irrelevant. Uh, the Bible... That's not what the Bible is trying to get at, uh, at for us when it comes to this. What, what the Bible wants us to learn is how to be skilled at life. If God has created all things, he's, he can give us the owner's manual as to how to work it. And so the continuum that we're looking at, the first one was sinfulness versus love. The continuum here is foolishness versus wisdom, right? And everybody you know, recognizes there's wise people in the world and there's foolish people in the world. And we want to be the people who are wise in life. We want to want people... Well, want to be the kind of people who are foolish in life, all right? But the book of Proverbs and other places in the Bible talk about this continuum. There's those who are foolish and those who are wise. The difference between the wise and the fool is the wise will listen to you if you rebuke them. The wise will learn from life. Fools don't listen to words. Fools need consequences. Here's the thing. This is both comprehensive and non-comprehensive, which means we can be wise in certain areas and foolish in other areas. I mean, how many of us have, have seen somebody who is a guitarist and they are so skilled at the guitar, right? 
but they're really foolish when it comes to life. So they, when they get on the stage, they could rock it. But when they get off that stage, man, they start making bad decisions, right? Or you've seen somebody who's really skilled with their money, and they make great decisions, they're able to make a lot of money, but they're fools when it comes to relationships and love and the things that really matter in this life. And so they're able to make a lot of money, but they keep giving it to, their, to, to these wives that they keep bringing in and, on, on, bringing in and out. There's people who are skilled, uh, and there's people who are foolish in these things. Now, there's the wise that listens to, to words, the fools will listen to consequences. Evil people, man, they won't even listen to that. That's, that's on another aspect of the continuum. And so the way, just like repentance is the way from sinfulness towards love, repentance in community, the way from foolishness to wisdom is discernment and learning. It's discernment and community. We can't figure it out alone. And so we need to take on a learning posture. We need to be teachable. We need to be the kind of people that just because we're skilled in one thing, and that's one of the, that's a hallmark thing. People who are successful in one area of life, they almost always think they're smart in every other area of life. And they make a lot of big mistakes. Why? Because they've been successful here. They assume they know everything everywhere. You've met the know-it-all, right? We don't want to be those people. We want to be the kind of people that's always continuing to discern and to move towards wisdom. All right, that's the second continuum. Third continuum is this. It's the healing continuum. All right, so on, on, the, on, on one side of this is, uh, is what you might see as strongholds or addictions, right? This is when things have taken over your life and the brokenness has, is, is, is ruling you and owning you and controlling you, right? Um, just before you get to that, you have trauma, right? Um, and sort of towards the middle is wounding. In this life, we're always going to experience different kinds of wounding, right? And, and the more you go left, you have the wounds fester. Uh, but, but if you go in the other direction in the continuum, there's healing, and ultimately on the right, on, on the other side, is peace. And so you've got addiction and strongholds on one side, and peace on the other. And if you're going to move from strongholds, things that are bound up, the, your trauma and your anxieties and your fears, if you're going to move from that towards peace, uh, if you're going to move along that healing continuum, it's going to require confession, forgiveness, and yes, community. What it means is things are going to have to come out into the light. Whatever is going on inside your heart, whatever is going on inside your mind, is going to have to come out into a safe environment where you can process it, where you can learn to forgive, where you can set it into your past. And once that's done, you can heal and have peace about these things. But as long as it's locked up in your head, you're moving in the wrong direction where it's going to fester and you risk that wound getting worse, more brokenness, more bondage. One last continuum, and, and, and these are all themes that come out of the book of James, is perseverance. The, the Bible recognizes that life is hard and that we are, con we are going to get hit. We're going to get knocked down by life. Life will be difficult. Life 
ends on this planet. And so we are going to face challenges. We are going to face sadness. We are going to face difficulties. But the promises of Scripture is that we can persevere. But there's, there's, a, there's a continuum here, right? On one side, it, on one side of this continuum are those who have kind of given up on persevering and they're just choosing to resent. They're choosing to resent whatever they're dealing with in life, and that resentment is creating other problems for them, right? But if you move back along that line, right in the middle, you'll find endurance. Endurance is a fine thing, but, you know, endurance doesn't necessarily mean, um, it doesn't mean acceptance. The way you move along this continuum is through acceptance and community, and on the other side, those who have learned to persevere have learned what joy means. Jesus says, for the joy set before him, or it was said about Jesus, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorn and shame. He learned to persevere. So there's persevere, uh, there's, there's joy on one side, there's resentment on the other, and the middle is endurance. If you're just enduring COVID-19, man, I challenge you to take this as an opportunity to, to, to learn what Josh taught about earlier on in the series, to choose joy. You do not need your circumstances to change to have joy in your heart. Do you know that? That is a promise of Scripture. A few years ago, I, uh, a friend of mine had, had a spiritual moment in church. He had just this moment that changed his life. It was a Death Star moment for him. And uh, the guy who was teaching was describing what happens when it comes to angry old men. Angry old men decide to, well, you, you know I'm talking about, the guys in the back of McDonald's who sit back there and just talk about how everything's wrong with the world except for them, right? Well, the, the path to becoming the angry old men, man, is when you stop trying to persevere and you just start resenting and, and you start dwelling on that which you regret and then you start resenting all the people who are different than you or resenting all the reasons why this world is wrong. And he had this moment where he realized that he was becoming the angry old man. And it was this Death Star moment. A whole bunch of things started coming together in his life when it went boom. And he's like, oh gosh, I don't want to be that guy. We'll, we'll call him dude. And I'm telling you, being in a small group with this guy was like Festivus. Do you remember Festivus from Seinfeld? Uh, Festivus for the rest of us. That was like George's father came up with a, a Christmas it was his version, well, he, they didn't celebrate Christmas, so they came up with their own holiday called Festivus, and he described it as Festivus for the rest of us. And the beginning of Festivus was the airing of the grievances. So the dad would stand up, and he's like, I got this grievance against you, and against you, and against you, and against you. This is what a small group with this guy was like. Now, he, he, he didn't stand up and point fingers, but it just kind of trickled out one thing or another, one thing or another, one thing or another. And resentment is the path to that part of the metaphor. That's the dark side. I'm just kind of playing out the rest of your days angry. I hope that's not you. Scripture points you towards a path where you can live. Be that joyful old dude. That joyful older person. Man, that's what I want for my life. There's a common thread to all of these things. This is common thread. Well, actually, let me go back on perseverance. I didn't tell you the, the path, the, the, pa the path from resentment to joy. It's acceptance. It's acceptance and learning to accept life, learning to accept life for what it is, and, of course, community, acceptance and community. 
But like the, the common thread, and it's right here in this passage, is humility. It says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. He keeps going on and he describes emotional responses, all sorts of different responses. But the heart of managing ourselves and the heart of dealing with the challenges in front of us is humility. When I was first going into ministry, I wanted to go into ministry so bad. I had a business degree and I went out and I was working at a bank, but like, I was working at a bank part-time, but I was giving all the rest of my time to continuing to do ministry in different kinds of ways. And I was raising support to do this, and I sent a support letter to everybody I knew, including a uh, Presbyterian pastor in Philadelphia. He had no money to help me out, but he had some time, and so he gave me a call, and we just talked about the things that I wanted to do, and and he gave me some words that have always been with me. He said, Mark, the way up is down. The way up is down. And you see that in all four of these themes. Whether it's dealing with our sinfulness, whether it's deal dealing with our foolishness, whether it's dealing with our brokenness or it, it's dealing with the difficulties and challenges of this life. Humility, going down, is always the way forward. The heart of the Christian life and the basic normal behavior of every Christian is to continue to choose humility, to choose a path of repentance. Uh, to choose a path of learning to choose a path of healing, to choose a path of acceptance, and to never try to do it alone. It always has to happen within community. But when we do that, the way down becomes the way up. Can I give you two more Death Star moments? In the Lord of the Rings, and I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. In the Lord of the Rings, there's this moment early on in the first book where Gandalf is describing to Frodo the power of this ring and what it does to people and in particular this the one who held, held the ring for hundreds of years a creature named Gollum and and Gollum had been following uh, Frodo and Gandalf along the way and it twisted into something wretchedly selfish forever Gollum just wanted to take that ring and be utterly selfish it made him unbelievably foolish because he gave up everything in his life for this ring. He had good things in his life, but when he found the ring, he just gave himself into utter foolishness to have the ring. And he became destructively addicted to him because as he continued to want it, it continued to destroy everything else in his life. The ring, as he described, was my precious. And... He was utterly evil and dark in his resentful misery. He was on the wrong end on every single one of these continuums. And Frodo said, it's a pity that Bilbo, his uncle who had interacted with Gollum before, didn't stab him when he had the chance. Gandalf thought about it. And here's where all the different themes of Lord of the Rings is going to come together. 
Gandalf says, my heart tells me that Gollum may have a part to play in this story for good or for evil. And it may turn out that the pity of Bilbo might save us all. See, Frodo thought it was a pity that Bilbo didn't stab Gollum. Gandalf recognized that the very thing that kept him from stabbing Gollum was his pity. And because of his meekness and his humility and his pity, there was hope for Middle-earth. And yes, the pity of Bilbo saved them all. Everything comes together. Now that's early on in the story. They still needed, to, they still needed three books to finish out the entire story. But the whole thing came, comes together through Bilbo's humility and his pity. Everything turns on that. You can live a changed life, but it starts with humility. The other Death Star moment I want to share is what happened at the cross. Jesus humbled himself and made himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. On the cross, he became sin who had no sin, so that what? He can become our righteousness. He, be, he associated himself with your sin and with my sin and associated himself so much that he felt the Father's wrath for all sin. Why? So that we would not have to bear it. The New Testament's writers say you need to understand that nobody who nobody without belief will ever understand the cross. Why? Because it is foolishness. The cross is foolishness to those who do not believe. The cross is where we are healed. The scriptures say by his stripes we are healed. He was crucified outside the city in a shameful place. But it's by, his by the cross where we now find forgiveness and freedom and healing and a pathway to peace. And it's at the cross where he endured the cross. Why? For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Why? For fellowship with the Father and for you and me to be re reunited to him. It was his humility at the cross that takes all of these things and brings them together and becomes, boom, your Death Star moment and mine. The common denominator in all these Death Star moments is that they didn't end up at the end of the story. They, they're somewhere early or in the middle of the story so that we can now walk in the victory. The, with the victory of the Philly special, the Eagles go on and win the Super Bowl, right? With the clarity that comes from Gandalf's wisdom, Frodo goes off and leads and they win the battle for Middle-earth. When Rose chooses love, well, her love will go on and on, right? What happens in the middle of the story shapes what happens the rest of the story. You need to understand, we are not victims to COVID-19. We, our joy, our wisdom, our peace is not attached to the circumstances around us. We can live a changed life. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. Why? Because what has happened on the cross is now your Death Star moment. It can change everything. And tomorrow you can live differently.
We can follow in the words of Bono to claim the victory that Jesus won because he not only died on the cross, he rose from the dead. And so all the foolishness can be left behind. All the sinfulness can be left behind. All the wounding can be healed from. And no matter what the circumstances are, we can persevere and step through life and joy and live a changed life. Why? Because Jesus at the cross has given us our death star moment. And because of that, our story can change and we can live differently. And that's why James says, look, please, can I adjure you? Learn to repent. Stop with the divisive quarrels. Stop with your selfishness. Stop with responding to all the, your passions and desires. You can't live a changed life. And we should. It's going to take humility. It's going to take humility. But we can do this. Let's pray. Jesus, left to my own devices, I would just respond to that part of my heart that just wants to be in control, do my own thing. And I might figure some things out in life and miss on other things in life, but I would fall to the folly of never choosing to know you and respond and react to my wounds. And who knows what kind of old man I would become. But Jesus, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the hope of the moment where you brought it all together for us. And we want to live claiming the victory that you have won as we choose to live changed lives. And we will do that uh, in your strength and in your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.